And welcome to episode 163 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We're an amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. How was your week, Shane? It's really good. Yeah, I, I got lots of observing in, um, tested out a, a new eyepiece, and yeah, in, in general, it was it was really good. How about yeah, you? Yeah, you, you were kind of holding out on me here a bit. I didn't know you were getting an eyepiece. You kind of <laughs> just sort of snuck that one in there. Do you want to just sort of tell us about uh, what, what you've uh, gotten and how it worked? Yeah, well... Well, I wasn't expecting to get a new eyepiece. This one, uh, this one snuck up on me as well. Um, so it's kind of funny, right? Cause I think last week we, uh, we talked about like kind of minimalist eyepiece sets. And, uh, one of the things you and I talked about is like, what, what's on your eyepiece list? What would you like to try out? Yeah. And, uh, I had mentioned, a, a Bader Morpheus, uh, you know, the whole lineup intrigues me. I think they, I think the focal lengths range from something like four millimeter up to 17 and a half or, or somewhere around yep. that. Yeah, that's and, right. And then they have 76 degree field of views, 20 millimeters of eye relief and really, really good reviews. Um, so I've been intrigued by these for a little while. Um, now, I think it was after we recorded the podcast, somebody on astrobicell.com posted a, a 12 and a half millimeter Bader Morpheus for sale. Mm. And uh, they bought it last year and used it a minimal amount of times, like I, I want to say two or three times, and made the decision to go towards 100 degree uh, eyepieces, um, 100 degree field of view eyepieces. So um, this thing was for sale and because it was used, you know, some of that depreciation, uh, happened. So I thought this is a good opportunity to, to give the Bader Morpheus, uh, a try. And it arrived in time to use on uh, Friday night this weekend. And, yeah. uh, so I gave it a little bit of a, a, a go, um, or let's where to start. So Friday night, I had the, uh, the 76 millimeter tack out and the night was all about you know, trying, playing around with this Morpheus. And I thought I would compare it to my 13 millimeter Nagler, um, that I've been using quite a bit actually. Uh, so the Naglers came with my Bino viewer that I bought a little while ago. And, um, uh, you know, I've been using them a lot in the Bino viewer, but there's been some times when I've been, uh, mono observing just one eyepiece and I've been using the Nagler as well. Um, so to kick it off, uh, the Morpheus has a huge objective. Like the glass that you look through is as wide as the eyepiece almost. It is huh. a massive piece of glass. So that's uh, the exit lens. Uh, the, like yeah. the, the field the top, lens. Yeah. The, the top. top yep. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's bigger physically and, and heavier than what I was expecting. And I don't know why I was expecting it to be smaller, but, um, it, it's, it's certainly bigger, a lot bigger than the Nagler 13 and definitely heavier than that eyepiece. Um, so that night, uh, I spent, I spent about two hours observing and really all I looked at was the moon and the double cluster for the most part. And, um, you know, going back and forth, like I must've switched those eyepieces in and out 20 or 30 times, uh, just comparing the views. Um, so, you know, initial findings, um, the Morpheus is an exceptionally sharp eyepiece. Holy smokes. Like, um, and, and sharp to the edge. Like it, it was really, really nice in that regard. Um, 
the color seemed very neutral to me. Like I don't believe it added any tones. And, um, you know, again, that view was, was bright and it was really, really nice. Um, I did have some issues though with eye placement. And if you remember back to when I, uh, first got that Nikon five millimeter eyepiece, mm-hmm. um, I mentioned with the tack, I, I had some eye placement issues and if the eye wasn't quite right, I would kind of get some blackouts happening. Um, and, and I find with the, when, when you have that type of an issue, sometimes you can just get used to it with the eyepiece. You'll kind of learn where to place your eye and then it almost becomes a, a non-existent issue. Um, anyway, with the Morpheus, that 20 millimeters of eye relief was just, I think too much for me. Um, the way, the way my glasses are and how close they are to my eye. Really? I, yeah. Like I had real issues getting my eye placed right. Um, mm. and I was often, um, not able to get it in, in the right place at all, really to see the whole field of view. So what I had to do was just back it off. Like I, instead of putting my glasses on the rubber eye cup, like I was, I don't know, uh, millimeters away from it. I don't know how far away, but I'd, I'd have to kind of sit back a little bit. And then the view was really nice. Yeah. Um, I just don't like to observe like that. I, I do like to put my glasses on to the eye cup. I feel, feel like I get more stable that way. And then I can have a better view. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that was kind of interesting. Now here, here's, here's some other interesting notes. So the, uh, the Nagler, um, only has like 12 millimeters of eye relief, which for eyeglass wearers is typically nowhere near enough. Like most yeah. eyeglass wearers, I think is probably needing at a bare minimum about 17 to 18 millimeters of eye relief. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, it goes up from there depending on you know, how your, your physical makeup is of your eyeballs and all that. Um, now the Morpheus has a 76 degree field of view. Uh, the Nagler is like 84 or 86. I'm not sure what the Naglers are. Um, so when I put my glasses to the, the eye cup on the Nagler, I was seeing the exact same size field of view as I was seeing through the Morpheus. So, you know, the, the eye relief on the Nagler cuts off some of that field of view, but I'm still seeing a pretty big swath of the sky. Mm -hmm. Um, the eye placement on the Nagler is no problem for me. Like there's no issue. There's no blackouts. It just works. And Mm -hmm. I really like that. Um, I felt the Nagler is just as sharp, um, across the entire field and on axis. Mm -hmm. It, It may be a touch warmer. Like I mentioned, the Bader is, is like neutral in color. Um, and you know, I think the, the Naglers, the Panoptics, even, uh, even, uh, the Teleview Plossels, uh, have a reputation for imparting like a coffee tone or a warmer tone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I think it was there in the Nagler, but I would say it was insignificant. Like it was that minimal. Um, so really by the end of the night, I was preferring the Nagler. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like so shocked by this. This yeah. is, I'm not getting around here. I'm, this is like, again, one of the top eyepieces that I want. And, and, you know, if it almost sounds like you're, you might be thinking about selling it. Is that. Well, yeah. So for a while. So the, well, I'm going to hold on to it probably for a little bit. Um, the reason I wanted to try this was um, for bino viewing. Um, right. You know, like if I can have um, a little bit more of a comfortable view with the eye relief, I thought, you know, this could be a good candidate um, for the bino viewer. But because they're heavier, number one, that that's, you know, a knock right there, like mm-hmm. heavier than the Nagler's, um, they're bigger. Um, and, and actually the person I bought it for, um, mentioned to me, uh, I, I think it was the 12 and a half actually that, 
he wasn't able to use it vinyl viewing because they are so big um, that his IPD, like the distance between his uh, pupils, he couldn't get the vinyl viewers, you know, um, aligned properly because of how big these eyepieces were. Like he couldn't get them close enough. So I don't know if I would have that issue or not. Um, but then that blackout was like atrocious like, <laughs> for me anyway. Like I, I was really, really frustrated with that. Um, did now, you try with the eye cup up? I did. Yeah. And that was almost too much then. Like I felt like I was almost looking through like a, like a teleview delight, like a 60 degree field of view. It, mm. uh, it really seemed to cut it off. So there's a few things I want to try with this eyepiece before I send it out the door. Cause sometimes I, I make too, too rash of decisions. Like, you know, when we were just talking to Mark, I mentioned I've owned Bino viewers many times before, but I don't really consider those like useful experiences because I didn't really look through them enough to make a, a real informed decision. So yeah. before I make the same mistake with the Morpheus, I do want to observe with it a little more. Um, so a couple things I want to do. Number one, just try it again in the tack, see how I like it, see how maybe I don't like it. Um, I'd like to put the extender in the tack. Um, oh, yeah. That really made the five millimeter more useful to me. Yeah. Like it got rid of the blackout stuff. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't mind trying it in other telescopes, you know, my Genesis, um, you know, maybe the 50 mil Borg, maybe my 120 Skywatcher, um, just to see how it works in, in those telescopes. But I got to say, like, I, <laughs> when, when I bought my vinyl viewer, um, the person I bought it from said, by the way, I have these 13 millimeter Naglers. Don't know if you want them. They're available. I didn't want them, but I thought, ah, throw them into the package. I'll try them out. I'll probably not want to keep them and I'll sell them. Um, and you know, pretty much every step along the way, I've tried to hate these Naglers. I don't know why, <laughs> but, but I, I, it turns out I really love them. They're fantastic eyepieces, no matter how much I try to not like them. Um, so for me right now, these 13 millimeter Naglers are really, really good eyepieces. Um, hmm. Like I just love the form factor. I love how light they are. And, you know, again, like the, the reason I think why I thought I would hate them is the eye relief at 12 yeah. or 13 millimeters that that would be just way too tight. But, um, you know, if I'm still getting like 76 degrees out of them, uh, that's, yeah. that's great to me. Like I, I can certainly make that work and, and be very happy for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, and, and even with that tight eye relief, you know, I, I can still get a lot of that field if I kind of squish my eye down just a little bit, if I really want to maximize things. So, yeah. um, anyway, I'm loving the Naglers. I'll, I'll probably try the Morpheus a, a couple of more times, but um, it's likely one that I'll end up selling. Um, but I, I can't say enough about how sharp it was. Like it, it really provides an engaging view. Um, yeah. and, huh. uh, I wouldn't mind maybe at some point trying some of the other focal lengths. Um, I got to say like it, it, I think I prefer it over the delight, um, the teleview delight. So I've had the nine millimeter delight and I still have the 15 millimeter delight, um, and, and they are 60 or 63 degrees. And, you know, when you go up to 76 degrees, that is a big difference in field yeah. view. Yeah. And, uh, you really, really notice it. Like the delight just feels like a, like a real nice plossel in a way, you know, like you're still seeing the field stop. It's not a super wide field to, uh, a view, but it's, it's bigger 
Um, but then going to a 76 degree, it's like, okay, now, now I'm doing some wide field stuff here. Huh. Well, look, I really, really want to view through this eyepiece before you jettison it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I figured you probably would. Yeah. Cause this is right, right at the top. And I want to run it against my uh, doctor 12 and a half. You know, that would be a, a bit of a fun shootout actually. And, and throw the Nagler in, into that mix as well, just to no, see how we're not doing is. the Nagler. Yeah. What's we're that? Right. You're not? No, we're not doing the Nagler. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just you're, you're anti-Teleview. I know I'm you are. Kidding. No, I'm not. I bought a Teleview Barlow three months ago. <laughs> I'm not against Teleview. And I bought a Teleview Neb, Neb Buster, Neb Star filter. So yeah, I'm not yeah, against I'm just, Teleview. I'm just bugging you. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah, it's good. Uh, yes. Yes, we should do this. This is, this is a great idea. This is a great idea. And I could even Barlow down my uh, 20 millimeter Pentax or yeah. And, and probably make us, uh, sort of a quote unquote Pentax 12 and a half millimeter, um, as well. And then, you know, I, I, that's like a dream shootout. I'm not really that big into shootouts, but I feel like that would be, uh, a shootout. I think I would be very interested in doing, You, you know, too, like if we really want to get wild and crazy here, <laughs> is wild, uh, crazy God. yeah yeah I, I i've got the 12 millimeter pentax smc uh ortho the 0.965 you could yeah. even throw that into the mix chris if we really want to you know not that it's in the same class as those other ones but yeah, anyway. we should do it we should do it for sure because i have the nikon 1.6 barlow and i know it works like a little bit higher than that but my 20 millimeter in that it supposedly would give like 12 and a half, although I think we're probably treading more like a 12 millimeter in that case, but, but within half a millimeter, we'd have the 13, we'd have the, the other Pentax 12, we'd have this Pentax 12 ish, and then we'd have my doctor and then you'd have the Morpheus. And I feel like that's like, other than maybe having the explore scientific 92 degree, but, but if we're talking about like 80, 80 degree plus or minus eyepieces, then uh, I think uh, that this is that's probably like the sort of ultimate shootout in in the twelve and a half millimeter uh, range. I think. Yeah, yeah. I the can't think of it. Might be the Delos. I don't know. There's probably a Delos in that range. I, I don't guess. know that there is. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with that line. It, that is another line that's intrigued me a lot, actually. Um, but yeah, I've just, never looked through one. So they, the you know, Delos. Oh has, yeah, they do have a twelve. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's seventy two degrees. So. Yeah. Yeah. They do have a 12 there, but, uh, yeah, I guess then, uh, you're right. We'd be missing. We'd be missing that. Uh, if anybody's listening and they want to send us one, we're happy. We'll be happy to test the IP set too. Who knows? Who knows? We have like 500 people listening every day now. So maybe, maybe that'll happen. Maybe, maybe, maybe. maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Did you, what, uh, what else did you get? Did you get anything else? Did you look at anything else? What else is going on there? Yeah. So maybe I'll just recap the week. Um, so after we recorded last week, uh, Mike sent us a, uh, a message just to say, Hey, there's a big oh, sunspot you guys might want to check out. So, um, I took the tack out. I put my Herschel wedge in there and, uh, holy smokes, there is a huge sunspot. Um, Mike said it was like Neptune in size, uh, like if, uh, if Neptune was to transit it, which of course we can't see that, um, that, uh, you know, that's, that's roughly the size and, and it was massive. Um, so it was very cool to, uh, to observe that, um, it had, um, 
it almost looked like a like a two ink blobs that maybe come together like there was um almost like a figure eight in a way or, mm. or, or something like that anyway and um a lot of detail to observe within the umbra and the penumbra of that uh, sunspot um and even like some uh, faculae around it it, it was really uh, it was really neat and encouraging to see that because you know the the solar minimum is behind us which means there should be more and more sunspot activity happening um for the next few years um and uh uh, sometimes these sunspots can get quite large. Sometimes they can even get so large that if you have uh, like solar eclipse glasses, you can put those on and see some of these sunspots naked eye. I I'm not Mike, sure. Didn't Mike do that or he was going to do it or something? I think he was going to try. I, I don't know if he was able to observe it or not. Um, should have checked with him. But uh, anyway, that was uh, last Sunday during the day. Um, and then that Sunday night, um, I went out to White Butte Trails, which is just east of our city. Um, it's still light polluted, but you know, you're probably getting into about magnitude six and a half skies, maybe a little bit less than that, actually. Oh yeah, I think it's more like five and three quarters. <laughs> well, maybe. You think maybe. You fix that there? I think so. I think so. Okay. Um the Milky Way, you know, overhead, no problem. Um uh, but anyway, it turned out to be a really fun night. So my brother came with me. Uh, I had the uh, Teleview Genesis SDF out there, so my four inch. And uh, we looked at the moon, uh, Jupiter, Saturn. Then we uh, gobbled up a whole bunch of Messier objects uh, like M13, um, M27. Um, on M27 too, what was really neat is my brother was able to see like a lot of that extension of that nebula and oh, yeah. how it sort of encases the whole thing, which, you know, I think he's actually got pretty good eyes <laughs> uh, for what he was able to see that night. Um, M45, M57, 31, 32, 110, uh, 81 and 82 looked phenomenal that night uh, through the yeah. four inch, like really seeing some structure there. Um, NGC 869, a lot 20, and, uh, you know, what was really fun too, is we just sort of panned around Cassiopeia mm. and there just are so many open clusters there, you know, to, to drink in and, and man, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, now one of the things too, that I just mentioned when we were talking to Mark, um, I, I had written down a few of the, uh, hidden treasures from Omira, uh, to try, you know, kind of in that part of the sky. And, um, one of them was NGC 1333. Um, mm. It's, uh, I think it's like referred to as like the embryo nebula, nebula or something like that. Yep. And um, there was no trace of that at all. Like it was not at all visible. Um, so I tried another one, uh, uh, I think it was a galaxy. I'm trying to remember which galaxy that was. Um, I think it was NGC 772 up in uh, Aries. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no trace of that either. Um, so I quickly gave up on the Omira stuff. You really need a dark sky for those objects. Uh, oh yeah. You know, like he, he's observing from, you know, on top of a volcano in Hawaii in a real dark place, uh, or dark spot on, on the Island of Hawaii. Um, so, you know, I think to do this list, I, you know, I'm going to need our grasslands, dark skies or, or something, you know, close to that. Maybe I'll tell you. I that, that's why I was saying I I think the light pollution impacts that uh, that trail site. Like I think it's dark because like it's sort of locally dark, and you're kind of poking through a bit of a hole. 
but there's just enough light pollution there that it is difficult to kind of observe sort of um, too far beyond the, the brightest objects, unfortunately, because I've been observing the Caldwell objects um, just informally um, from, from my place, which is, I think you even said it's significantly darker than that site. Yeah. And uh, like the hardest ones that, have, that Amira says um, were really difficult for him in Hawaii. Um, like I'm, I'm not quite getting those ones, but I, I think I am. I think I'll be able to get them on good nights when they're perfectly placed. So I should be able to get them all on my four inch. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that side of mine is probably, probably dark enough to, uh, to, to see these for you. Hmm. Well, I'll certainly try next time I'm out there during new moon. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I am curious about that. So, um, it's uh, just, it's just dark enough out there. I was surprised too. I, I just took the, the three, most difficult ones in, in the Caldwell book um, that he wrote about. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think I kind of saw, I think I have to do, like I said, more observations, but I, I think you should be able to get the, the hidden treasures ones. I also have the hidden treasures and, and have observed, uh, I think I've observed most of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, and then moving on to Monday night, um, the Aurora blew my mind and there's been a ton of pictures and posts uh, all over Twitter and probably social media about uh, people's observations of the Aurora. Um, so I had, uh, I had kind of forgotten about the fact that, you know, that there's probably going to be a big show that night. So I was uh, watching movies with my wife and uh, it was about 1030 um, at night and it was time to take the dog out before we went to bed. And I opened the door and looked up and so again, I'm in the city, it's light polluted. I often can't see Aurora in my backyard, but it was just dancing. Like it was so bright and so active, probably the most active Aurora I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of Aurora. And on top of that, it wasn't just green. It was like purpley pink curtains dancing around. Yeah. It was just wild. And, yeah. um, you know, I think I timed it just right. Cause about oh gee maybe 10 minutes later um the color like the pink and and uh, purple kind of disappeared and even the activity slowed down a bit but um man it was it was really something else and uh, again a lot of really cool photos um i think uh, i think people in like the northern u.s were were observing it as well if i'm not mistaken yeah, I, yeah, I think you texted me or Mike texted me. One of you guys texted me anyway, yeah. and I, I hopped up and ran out right away. And uh, <laughs> it was just ridiculous. I mean, it just looked like giant clouds of green gas, basically, on, on the northern horizon. Mm -hmm. It was so bright that even, even looking down my back road that I'm on, um, and I have streetlights on that road, I mean, it was, it was behind these streetlights, and the streetlights made no impediment to viewing it at all. It was just hard to wrap your mind around, around um, the fact that, that you could see the, the aurora basically right through a streetlight. It was, it was that bright. I don't know how bright that would have to be, but it was, it was extremely bright. And it was yep. so green. It was like a long yeah. green to my eye. I've never seen it. I've seen it green before. I would say it has more like green tints or maybe like a grassy kind of green but this was lime green <laughs> yeah yeah that you're right it, it was it was amazing like most of the aurora aurora that we see naked eye it's hard to tease out color like it's often mm -hmm. sort of gray and you need photographs to get the color out 
but uh, this was just outstanding. And like, if you were in even just a moderately dark site, the the aurora was so bright it would easily cast shadows. Like it would make a dark area very bright. It, yeah. it was it was something else. So. Oh oh yeah, I've never seen it. I've never seen it uh, like that. There, there's been other bright shows, you know, and the bright shows have all been different that that mm-hmm. I've seen. I saw one a number of years ago. It was directly overhead. It was pink, and uh, again, right from from a city and. Yeah, I've seen like three or four, and this this is right up there with with those uh, best uh, best shows. I didn't like drive out and look at it anywhere. I I thought about it. I was very tired and that that day was getting on, and thought that uh, well, I'll just watch it from the backyard for ten minutes or so, which did. Yeah, yeah, and then the last uh, observing was yesterday. I did some H alpha observing of the sun, and um, you know, as usual, there's a ton of of detail on the sun, but one thing to note was. Um, there was two prominences that sort of twisted together and, um, these don't happen all of the time, but they do happen occasionally. And, and it was just really neat to see that it was almost like two prominences kind of braided together to, to form like one prominence. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. How about you? How was your week? I, I really didn't do very much because uh, we're getting into the, uh, that that full moon phase mm-hmm. so as as that moon comes along and uh also you know have a, have a few other things things going on right now that uh that are kind of eating in, into the astronomy time but i did i did finally get a 32 millimeter two inch masayama eyepiece it's pretty yeah. exciting yeah, that is super exciting. Now, you you want to look through the Morpheus. I really want to look through this Masayama piece. It's always been, been on my you know list of intrigue. So tell me about this thing. Yeah, so this is a two-inch Japanese eyepiece made by the Masayama Company, which is a, a pretty famous Japanese eyepiece um, making company. I think they they made um, and may continue to make a lot of uh, sort of the higher-end eyepieces for like. Uh, companies like at least in the past, like Celestron and University Optics, and I think and other companies like that have have used them primarily, I think, for making like their plossels. Um, but then they've also sort of dipped their toe into making really good. Uh, they're basically like a modified Koenig, but uh, sort of like an older generation wide field. So kind of they, they had made the eyepieces that were the best widest field eyepieces sort of before the the teleview uh, wide fields uh, came along and so, so they've recently by recent i mean like five or six years ago uh re-released some of these um modified koenigs now i i have owned a 30 millimeter wide scan three which apparently was like sort of a, a knockoff of one of those original Massiamas. Um, like I said, I, I don't really know the date, but I've had this thing for about for about twenty years, give or take a couple of years, maybe. And um, it's one of those eyepieces that that was I think it was like say around like one hundred and fifty US dollars. I bought it used for about a hundred bucks Canadian, and. It doesn't get a lot of love online, but I really do like it quite a bit. So much so that like if I travel, it's the one that goes with me because it's it's pretty inexpensive. If if it got lost or stolen, um, it would suck, but they're widely available used. People typically sell them. Uh, that there's one for sale right now on, on Yahoo auctions over in over in Japan for not a whole lot of money. And and brand new, you know, a lot of the time people have bought them and then they tried them and didn't like them. And then they just sort of sat on the shelf and um, they did sell an awful lot of them. So it's not a not a super rare eyepiece just out of production. Um, but um, 
what attracted me to getting the mass CMA is, well, one, my wide scan has a lot of miles on it. And I think that, you know, it was an inexpensive eyepiece at the time, didn't have the best coatings. Um, and I think the coatings, um, well, they, they've degraded quite badly. Um, it's super dirty. I, I would be reluctant to clean it. I think if I clean it, I'm going to take the coatings right off. I think probably it's not even going to matter at this point. And there was a few things I didn't like about the wide scan three. One is the main one is that it has a metal rim. It doesn't have a plastic eye guard and you can see where people try to get ones and it was really hard to find ones that fit. And if, if I did find the ones that people had used most successfully, they were uh, always at a stock and I could, I could never get them, mm -hmm. but this Massiama, it comes with uh, a nice rubber eye guard and Apparently, I, I was thinking that the 30 millimeter wide scan three um, was stopped down a little bit. I think it's got a 44 millimeter uh, field stop diameter and the mass CM, I think, has a 46 and a half or 47 um, millimeter field stop diameter. So I was able to to compare them and I compared them in my 50 millimeter F5 mm -hmm. and uh, sort of have some some preliminary findings. So uh, a bit of a shootout, not really into shootouts, but um, like I said, I always kind of did want to compare this this new Massiama to the old uh, wide scan three. So the, the first thing is that the rubber eye guard um, works perfectly, at least for me, and there's no scraping of my eyeglasses against a metal rim. Well, that's good. <laughs> I, I also found that, well, the thing that surprised me most when I switched between the eyepieces is the Massayama, I think it requires more, a little bit more outfocus, like significant. You're definitely, you definitely know you've changed eyepieces. And I actually thought that because they do look so similar, they're, they're the same height, they're, they're about the same weight, though the Massayama is a few ounces lighter, which is always nice. I thought, well, they're going to focus within a few millimeters, but they don't. It's it's like half a millimeter or half a centimeter or a centimeter different in, in focal point. So I was surprised at that. Mm -hmm. um, so there, there definitely is a significant difference there. And I, I think that that tweaking probably is what makes the Massayama um, probably like like overall quite a, quite a bit better eyepiece. So for example, the, the eye relief... Um, seems to work a little bit better. So you were talking about the Morpheus and blacking out, although the wide scan three doesn't have too much of a blackout problem. It, it's okay. Like the odd time it will black out, or it can be a little bit difficult to get the field. Um, the mass AMA doesn't have any problems. Like you're, you're sort of, it has a huge sweet spot on it. The sweet spot is much larger for positioning your eyepiece. Um, so not only are you, uh, are you not scraping your glasses against it? It's easy to, to get your eye over it. And even though, like I actually found like the, the difference in only a millimeter or two of, uh, of field stop at, at these 30, 32 millimeter focal lengths, um, <laughs> it's almost undetectable. It is wider, but it's not that much wider. However, it's easier to take in the wider field of the mass CMA. So in, in reality, in practice, I, I would say it's, it really seems like there's virtually no difference in the field of view, like when you really kind of get down to it and, and focus on getting the full field in the wide scan three, but the mass CMA is easier to get. And when you're trying to get in to get the wide scan three field of view, you're definitely getting some blackouts and some 
you know, some weird optical effects. Um, but the one thing that the uh, WideScan 3 has going for it is that uh, it seems like it handled the um, short focal ratio a little bit better. Um, it didn't seem to have quite as much distortion at the edges or it was sort of easier to kind of get more of the field of view into focus than, than the Massiema. So I don't know, it could be like an optical defect in my WideScan 3 that, that benefits uh, using it in these fast refractors. Um, however, um, the big difference between the two eyepieces is light throughput. I, and I just, <laughs> I couldn't get over how much light comes through the Massiema. And um, it's, 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 it's kind of blowing me away how many more stars you could see. I, I got to say, it felt like it was going at least a magnitude fainter, um, which is pretty significant, significant in like a 50 millimeter telescope. So it's yeah. almost like going from a 50 millimeter to like a 60 millimeter telescope, or it'd be like adding inches on to, to a larger telescope if, if that holds, holds true. And I'd heard that about this Massiema is that it has ridiculous light throughput and, um, and it does, it has absolutely uh, amazing light throughput. In addition, um, it's, it has far less chromatic aberration. Um, so even though this is a 50 F5, um, I could see quite significant chromatic aberration um, in, my, in my wide scan three. And I think the wide scan three, well, it, it was adding quite a bit of chromatic aberration. Whereas like I was looking at the moon and some, some bright stars, you could definitely see it there and you could never quite get the stars to be perfectly sharp or like Jupiter would flare pretty bad. It could be difficult to see the moons beside it, but in the Massiema, you can get it very sharp. It's just my astigmatism left and, uh, and you can see the moons around Jupiter. Clearly you could see um, bright stars pretty clearly, no chromatic aberration at all, hardly just a little bit from that fast little scope. And then, um, on the moon, yeah, it was just so sharp and crisp and just like a thin line of sort of greenish uh, chromatic aberration there. Just very, very little. It just just kind of reduced that right out. So um, overall, it, it's an awesome eyepiece. And I think that probably it's just picking up the field curvature from the scope on edge. And for whatever reason, my, my old wide scan three seems to be better matched um, for field curvature. But I do have that field flattener, which I'm gonna I'm gonna try in the uh, in, in these little scopes, uh, you know, as I kind of continue to experiment with. So anyway, that that's sort of my experience with that so far. Huh, very cool. Um, you know, the other thing I've read about that eyepiece, uh, in addition to the light throughput, is just how sharp it is on axis as well. Yeah. And it, you know, I think that they do have a bit of a reputation for some edge uh, breakdown. You know, of of it being not super crisp all the way to the edge, but um, that, that you really can't beat them on axis for that light throughput and sharpness. So I'm very curious to see what it looks like in our like F seven and a halfs and, yeah. um, and, uh, compare it there because, you know, as I've said, I think last week when you mentioned you were getting this, uh, eyepiece is that I'm, I would love to have like a lightweight wide field eyepiece, the Nagler and like the 31 millimeter Nagler and the 41 millimeter panoptic do not qualify as light. <laughs> no, you know, they're, they're really nice wide field eyepieces, but they weigh an awful lot. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very curious about this one. 
Yeah. So one one neat thing about it, although yeah, you don't quite get the whole field of view sharp, at least in in a fifty f five, which has extreme field curvature. Um, in that telescope, I was out looking at Orion um, the other morning and yesterday morning, and I can get the belt of Orion, the sword of Orion, and Rigel in the field of view in the fifty. So it's that's over a ten degree. Um, field in in the telescope and wow. uh, with those little telescopes you know the way they focus is like a camera lens where you you have like a barrel focuser a helical focuser on the barrel of the telescope and it's actually pretty easy to to kind of focus through and kind of as your eye pans you can kind of sort of naturally focus um, the different portions of of the field into uh, into sharp focus and like you know really about the center four and a half or so degrees that that's reasonably sharp so you know the the sharp feel in this would still be wider than than uh, pretty much most telescopes um would give you yeah it's pretty cool i looked at the hyades and the pleiades and cassiopeia as well cassiopeia you know is is uh, a field and a half in this in this little telescope so that's wow. uh that's pretty ridiculous yeah yeah, you know that's a, that is a fun little telescope, isn't it? To, to get like those gigantic field of views, it's uh, it's fun. Yeah, so I can't wait to to experiment with it a little bit more, and maybe get the field flattener working, and then get it out under uh, under dark skies. Because I think if I can take that field curvature out a little bit, I think then uh, then that eyepiece will really perform um, much much better. Because I think it's just being being impacted by that. Uh, field curvature um more more than anything but it, but again in the in like f6 and greater telescopes i i expect it to be pretty good i i would imagine yeah yeah well hopefully um you know if it is then that becomes a real a real winner you know that'll be a, a like just a great performer but the the other part of it too is the price of it is actually not bad in no. relation to some of these other wide field eyepieces out there yeah yep so that, that's really my my report, Shane. That's really all, all I have to report uh, from from this week. So sort of looking forward to um, you know the next new moon period and and uh, you know still teaching my class and doing some other stuff and and that's kind of where the focus is right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know the uh, the forecast here has been pretty good lately, and it continues to look good in terms of clear nights. So my plan is to continue getting outside as much as I can. Uh, to look at Jupiter and Saturn, um, yep. you know, we probably only have a few more weeks of, you know, decent positioning for those two planets. Um, so I want to, like I say, get as many sessions in with those. Uh, I want to keep using my bino viewers and maybe try the bino viewers just with some different telescopes too that I have. Um, I've been primarily using it with the Takahashi, the 76 millimeter. Um, but I think I might pull out some bigger aperture like the 100 or the 120. Um, and maybe even some smaller aperture. I wouldn't mind trying it with my little, uh, 63 millimeter telemeter, uh, the Zeiss telemeter that I have, uh, that's quite old. Um, and just see what it looks like with that one. Sounds good. Yeah. I look forward to hearing your reports on those. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, uh, unless you have anything else to add, Shane, I'll thank you and thank everybody for listening. Thank you everyone for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us or if you would like to support the podcast check out our website actualastronomy.com <music>